0: hello and thanks for tuning in to episode 56 of this week in drugs this is the sixth episode of our partial hiatus between seasons two and three so as our regular listeners know this means we're doing shorter news only episodes without any discussion of drug of the month and tyler is going to be standing in for rochelle so as always thanks for joining us for episode 56 of this week in drugs and we hope you enjoy the show and now it's time for the weekly news and forecast where we go into some of the biggest news stories from the last week and tell you about some exciting stuff that's coming up uh but before we do that we do just have a couple of quick announcements uh one is just that uh Season 3 is going to be launching uh, in two weeks from today on August 21st. We're really excited for it. Uh, Maybe next week we'll give the little preview about who's going to be our guest. We've already told that to our Kickstarter uh, donors as a little thank you for them, but please, if you donate to our Kickstarter, keep that a little bit quiet. Uh, But we do also just want to say that Thanks to the success of our Kickstarter, which was overwhelmingly positive. We raised a total of $1,041. We're just really inspired to really step it up, and we want to do things right, make sure that Season 3 is our best one yet. So we're putting in a lot of work, and we are really excited to to launch it. So stay tuned. Uh, We've got this week, which is only news. Next week will be only news, and the full episodes will be back on August 21st. Uh, So with that, if, uh, Tyler, you want to get things started with the first news item,
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this comes to us out of Arkansas, uh, and it's about a statewide program that they use to screen new welfare applicants uh, for drug use. And so they found that this program, which launched in April, has only led to five people being denied government benefits over a four-month period. Uh, this is according to the Department of Workforce Services data. Out of those five people, one only one person actually failed it, and four refused to take the test, um, which just makes them temporarily ineligible to receive the benefits. So when this program was first launched in April, the annual cost estimates were putting it at about $1.7 million, although the department quickly reduced that number down to $100,000. Uh, they said that they uh, had initially included some expensive administrative costs uh, that were later dropped. So the department estimates that they might save $40,000 in benefits over the year, uh, but their goal here is really transparency. So. The moral of the story is that after four months, they've managed to catch one person who tested positive on a drug test who was applying for benefits. Four people didn't want their privacy invaded, and they've spent uh, thousands of dollars um, all in all in the name of transparency, uh, which feels like a thinly veiled way to say invading the privacy of people they deem to be less than deserving of their uh, civil rights. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that really does sound exactly like what that is. Because, I mean, we, we've talked about these before in, in other states. Some states have found them unconstitutional. Other ones, they're still operating like this. But this is the first time I'd ever seen one drastically reduce their cost estimate for it that much. Because these programs are actually, they're quite expensive. Because, I mean, you're including not just the cost of the test themselves, which are, you know, at least 20 to $50 or $100 per test. And then, they're also using all of that staff time, and it sounds like for this that they started with $1.7 million and they got rid of those administrative costs, but it's not like they're, they're not administering the program. It probably just sounds like they switched that line item to the overall agency budget or something like that rather than it actually not costing that much. It was just kind of an accounting thing. And so, OK, we're saving, the, you know, quote unquote, saving the state money by uh, not giving deserved government benefits to these people who need them. Uh, but instead we are. And, and then they're drastically underestimating the cost of doing this.
1: I just can't imagine that it was at all just like someone wanted someone prioritized. "Quote unquote transparency mm-hmm. over like a million dollars initially. If this was initially quoted at one point seven million dollars, and they estimated they were going to save forty thousand dollars in benefits, mm-hmm. all in the name of like making sure that people aren't using drugs while getting government benefits, like mm-hmm. it's it's very frustrating to me to think that that was ever at all politically palatable. Right. Um, <laughs> even though the cost estimates have dropped down to hundred thousand, it's still like." they're going to lose $60,000 to police people's behavior and violate their right to privacy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the framing of this
0: as transparency is just so crazy to me because it's along the same idea of like, I don't know, you wouldn't pay people to follow around welfare recipients to see where they're spending their money. And in the same way that this is just peering into people's personal lives when really that shouldn't be an issue.
1: Yeah, it's, it's dehumanizing to people who are utilizing government benefit programs and it's dehumanizing to people who use drugs. Mm-hmm. Also, these sorts of tests tend to lead to riskier drug use, too. Mm-hmm. Um, this mm-hmm. is specifically one of the reasons that people turn to synthetic cannabinoids. If there's someone who like wants to use cannabis and knows they're going to be tested, they may use synthetic cannabinoids, which have even lower quality control than black market cannabis does, and you don't know what's going to happen. And we've mm-hmm. seen a lot of uh, scare tactics around k2 overdoses and this is specifically one of the driving forces behind people using that substance specifically
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and there is definitely some substitution that goes on there and the same thing goes for other sorts of uh other uh common recreational illegal drugs like say cocaine for example that if i'm going to do some certain drug marijuana is going to stay in my system a lot longer than cocaine would and so that this kind of steers people in the direction of those other more more dangerous uh non-marijuana drugs as well And so speaking of marijuana, I actually got both of my uh, big news stories and a headline this week are about uh, marijuana, all specifically in Oregon, but they're all very different and very important in different ways. So, But this first one is that um, for the first time ever, a marijuana business owner, this one in Oregon, has been fined $40,000 by regulators after they concluded that she defrauded her investors. Uh, so this is a very, very long story that's actually kind of been unfolding in a lot of the industry publications for many months, uh, but very long story short, uh, this woman whose name is uh, Tisha Seiler, she was the CEO of a company called Canacea, and she was found guilty of investment fraud after she lied to investors claiming she'd gotten a personal invitation from regulators to open six dispensaries in the state with minimal red tape. Uh, for context, this was during a big transition from the state's medical to their recreational program where their was a lot of concern among business owners about making that transition, being able to get these recreational licenses that were a little hard to come by. And so her claims even included a letter supposedly from regulators, which did turn out to be completely fabricated. And because of these claims, four investors put in a total of $225,000 into her company, which, of course, because this was all fabricated, uh, they weren't able to live up to their promises. And according to Marijuana Business Daily, the the big trade publication, uh, the agency also issued a cease and desist order against another company called Green Rush Consulting uh, from California that unknowingly helped Siler pull off her scam, uh, fining them $20,000 but suspending $12,500 of that fine. Uh, So while not a participant in the scam, uh, the regulators found that Green Rush did not properly verify the authenticity of the letter before using it to help Siler raise money. Uh, So this is a really big deal. mainly just because this is really the first ever finding of fraud in the legal cannabis industry that I've ever heard of. And it seems to be that this is uh, the first that anyone's heard about this happening. And so on, on one side, it's a little surprising that this is the first time this has happened just because yeah. there's yeah all of these news stories about like, oh, the green rush, there's billions of dollars in this. There's a lot of people, it's brand new. So there's very little experience. People don't have track records about this is a reputable company. This one isn't. everyone's new, it's hard to judge them against each other and there's a lot of greedy people like getting involved in this industry just seeing dollar signs of just saying okay i don't care how i do this but i'm going to make money in this industry and uh, there's also a lot of people who might have good intentions a lot of money but don't really know what's going on like they haven't been following this um and so because of that is a perfect storm for fraud because you really only have to know a little bit more than the person you're ripping off in order to seem confident um so this is this is an interesting one, but I guess being outside the industry, Tyler, what, what are your thoughts?
1: Whenever things like this happen, so like you said, this is the first time that we've seen like a large case of fraud uh, mm-hmm. happening uh, or being uh, prosecuted. Um, but when things like recalls against products and stuff happen, um, I am actually really happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, I think that there's there's initially kind of a, a negative outcome, and that's some bad PR and some bad public perception of the cannabis industry, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But overall, it's a reminder that w- having a having a legal market allows for regulatory bodies to do this sort of regulatory work. Right? Mm-hmm. If someone had defrauded someone in an illicit market, the only recourse they would have would be to use violence against that other mm-hmm. person who had defrauded them. Which right?
0: happens all the time. Exactly.
1: (laughs) That's how a lot of drug trafficking violence comes about. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's happening in the court. And this is really unfortunate. And, like, it really sucks for the investors. And it Mm -hmm. puts a bad name for this company. And especially for the cannabis industry. Like, Mm -hmm. those are all negative effects. But no one's going to be murdered for this. People are going to see fines. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll see some other punitive measures. But overall, like, there will be zero actual violence uh, mm-hmm. Perpetrated on any human, so I think this is really exciting, and I think that the more and more fraud cases that come up and like recalls that protect consumer safety, like mm-hmm. it's just going to keep on refining the industry and refining the market to be safer for consumers. And easier for business people to navigate to.
0: Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And, and I, I, it definitely does seem that, unfortunately, this will lead to some bad PR for the industry in general, or people might get, a, unfortunately, a little bit scared of legalization. But on the other hand, this sort of news story is probably going to scare off a lot of people who are thinking of committing fraud in the marijuana industry. And I definitely welcome that impact because we want fewer of those people. And so hopefully... I I bet that there's probably more fraud going on um, or more at least attempts at it. So I hope that all of these actually do get prosecuted to the fullest extent so that we can actually keep the industry clean on the up and up and have people confident that it's being done in a good way.
1: Excellent. Cool. So moving on to our next story, this is coming out of Minnesota, um, and it's a little bit of a wrap up on a recent story that came out of D.C., Uh, If uh, folks aren't aware, President Obama recently granted clemency to 214 people who were incarcerated. and, And out of those 214, 67 had been sentenced to serve life in prison. And our news story is that a state law school project in Minnesota partially helped figure out who should, you know, which inmates should be granted clemency. This program got started in 2014 when Barack Obama first announced that he would uh, first ask the Department of Justice to prep the commutations. Um, the director of the program says that it'll never be enough because there's thousands of people who fall through the cracks in the justice system Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really encouraging to see what students can do to directly increase the freedom of people and particularly those who've been in the justice system because of bad drug policy Mm -hmm. Um, these commutations had a bunch of folks who were serving sentences for uh, intent to distribute even just possession Um, a lot of drug offenses got commuted in this uh, in this batch of folks who were granted clemency so Mm -hmm. it's really exciting to see you know this was just a a bunch of law students um just a bunch of people in school who mm-hmm. got to work on this project and changed the lives of hundreds of folks who were incarcerated
0: yeah seriously talking about the impact that students can have on improving people's lives and drug policy like this is some of the most direct action that you can have because it's so important as we're saying and we've talked about it, all these clemency uh issue-ins over the past couple of months or years on this podcast and it's just such a long process and that as you said, there's thousands, if not tens of thousands of people who are potentially eligible for this. But because the government is you know, so afraid of letting out somebody that turns into some kind of PR scandal or uh, any, letting out anybody that turns into um, any negativity on them, that they're so careful about reviewing all of these cases, which is a ton of work. And I remember seeing some stuff that there, a while ago there was a really high level um official who resigned after saying that not enough resources were being given to these clemency programs uh, and that they had so much more work to do and that they just didn't really have the capacity for it so there's tons of people who should be out of prison now and we've been seeing it just with these he announced this two years ago and they've been doing them in batches so it's not like you know these 214 people that were in this most recent batch they were eligible a year or two ago it's just that they hadn't gotten to them yet and so being able to go, get through that uh huge list of people as quickly as possible so that these batches can be bigger and earlier is really important and it, it's really cool i didn't know that students were helping with that process but that's a that's a really amazing thing
1: i also know we have some uh, ssdp chapters at law schools that work on like statewide clemency programs too so Um, Yeah, it's really exciting to see the way that students can do some serious direct work in the justice system and literally get people out of jail Mm -hmm. that shouldn't be there.
0: Absolutely. And so speaking of getting people out of jail that shouldn't be there, uh, my next story, also a marijuana story from Oregon, uh, but a very different one. Um, And so this is that prosecutors in Oregon have agreed to drop federal charges against a Native American teenager who faced up to a year in, in prison for possession of one gram of marijuana. So all of this started all the way back in March 2015, uh, when this uh, teenager, Devontre Thomas, he was caught possessing marijuana, this one gram. Uh, while he was in Oregon, where marijuana is decriminalized for everyone and legal uh, for everyone over 21, he was 18 years old. But he was attending a boarding school, which was operated by the Federal Bureau of Indian Education. So because it was under federal jurisdiction, the the state's relatively lax marijuana laws didn't apply. So prosecutors, they found this out. Normally it would have been a civil charge. They threw a criminal charge at him, just throwing the book at him, facing up to a year in prison. Uh, So there's outrage over the possibility of this incredibly harsh sentence. And the state's U.S. senators and congressmen even sent a letter to prosecutors expressing their concern at the handling of the case, basically telling them to back off because their state had... Determine that this is something that shouldn't happen anymore Uh, So this is a really important case Both because obviously it's incredibly important to the individual involved here Because this was uh, an 18, he's now 19 years old Now that this has been in progress for a while But facing up to a year in prison and having that on your record uh, Can... Drastically alter your life in very negative ways. And so being able to stay out of prison and avoid this being put on his record is a really great thing. But it is also just a big reminder that federal prohibition still really matters and it matters differently for different groups of people. And so... Because of the weird federal situation with Indian reservations and, and different programs that Native Americans receive, many of those being under federal jurisdiction instead of the state, leads to them getting treated differently uh, than people living outside of reservations. And it's kind of the same thing in D.C. Um, we've talked about before how their legalization uh, only covers the actual city and like half of D.C. is federal land. And so that leads to a lot of issues if people smoking publicly in parks could potentially get Charged under federal law that hasn't really happened yet, but this is an example of where that did happen. And so it's good to, to have them back down and hopefully prevent more of this in the future.
1: And also, this is a really great insertion point for states' rights folks to get on board with ending the drug war, whether mm-hmm. or not it's cannabis or other drugs that are scheduled and enforced uh, through the DEA and, like, other restrictions. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just the federal government interfering with issues that states should be allowed to figure out on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a this is an excellent example of places where drug policy reform really you know cuts across the aisles or all the diagonals in the aisles Mm -hmm. now that we're kind of i feel like we're shifting further and further away from Mm -hmm. this two-party system you know whatever hopefully we'll Mm -hmm. see
0: yeah fingers crossed (laughs) and it is just really great to see especially with this case that all of these federal politicians stepped up to help i mean that's a really rare thing Obviously, in Oregon, they've got people like Congressman Blumenauer who have been fighting for this for years. And so they've got some really heavy hitters uh, on the reformer side. But it is still nice to see U.S. senators writing to prosecutors saying, don't prosecute this teenager for drugs. That's a really incredible thing. Absolutely. Cool. And so I think it's
1: about time to move on into our headlines, our quick hits section of the show. Uh, First up is me, uh, story out of Australia. Uh, where there's actually a really huge boom in uh, drug enforcement and drug violations. Um, Illicit drug seizures are up 14% and drug-related arrests are up 20%, says a recent
0: report. Mm. And so for the first time ever, the Oregon State Fair will include a cannabis exhibition where growers will be able to display their plants and have them judged competitively. Organizers say that it reflects the plant's legal status in the state and its importance as a local agricultural product.
1: And then out of our home state of Connecticut, Sam, uh, Mm -hmm. police are invading uh, residents' privacy even more. by um, In Westport, they're adding a new drug detection dog amidst an increase in heroin overdoses in the town.
0: And in Phoenix, Arizona, a woman was arrested for allegedly giving methamphetamine to her toddler after the child accidentally consumed methadone, a drug used to stave off withdrawal symptoms from opiates. The 22-month-old child died, and the mother is currently in custody
1: moving on to our weekly forecast um september 30th to october 22nd is the beyond psychedelics conference in ireland and students for sensible drug policy is a partner organization of the conference uh so check out our website we've got a link to their facebook page um and their ticket sales are ending pretty soon so if you're gonna be if you're gonna be going uh get on your tickets sooner rather than
0: later awesome And finally, next week on Tuesday, August 16th, a group of public radio stations will be hosting a town hall event about the state's ballot question on legalizing marijuana. As we've talked about on the podcast before, Proposition 64 is perhaps the most important initiative in America uh, this year, since California is bigger than the other four states voting on legalization combined. So this event is part of something called California Counts, which is a collaboration among some public radio stations to report on the 2016 election. So if you're a Californian, check out the link on our website to participate in the town hall and uh, watch the event.
1: Great, and that wraps it up for this truncated hiatus episode of Just News and Forecast for This Week in Drugs. Uh, as always, there's so much going on with drug policy and drugs. If we missed anything, uh, feel free to send us any news stories or things you want us to cover in our next episodes. You can email us at thisweekindrugs@gmail.com at or find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter. Just send us a message and uh, we'll get back to you and hopefully include it in next week's show.
0: Thanks for listening to episode 56 of This Week in Drugs, hosted by Tyler Williams and me, Sam Tracy. The show is produced by Tyler Williams, Sarah Merrigan is our engagement director, and Rochelle Young is our co-host in exile. As we mentioned in the news, we'll be back with full-length episodes on August 21st, when we'll be premiering our third season. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, please send us a message on Facebook or Twitter, or email us at thisweekindrugs@gmail.com. You can also check out our website, thisweekindrugs.org, for more information about the show, including a link to our ongoing listener survey. That's all for episode 56, so please remember to stay sensible, and we'll see you next week. Our outro song is How Could It Be by Deep Dish. you yeah. yeah.
1: But I don't again all around it's listening was it for you was it anything